you end up working way more hours and it, it and, and the point is is you don't begrudge working those hours you know it's like if you work in the corporate world you, you, you tend to begrudge that because it's like you're getting your salary and everything but it's like you, it's forced here when you're doing something that you love the, the time flies by you know you can look and you've done a 15 16 hour day and you're not you're not even tired and you not even realize it because you just love what you're doing and you've got to love what you're doing but that is one of the advantages hi welcome to what will you create the podcast all about what it takes to build a startup on today's episode i talked to ben godfrey who's one of the co-founders of a new crowdfunding platform called global sports which, as you can probably guess by the name, is a crowdfunding platform for sports projects. And it's a really cool initiative. You know, when I first heard about it, I kind of thought that how can you make another crowdfunding platform succeed in a space that already has giants like Kickstarter and Indiegogo and other platforms too? But after talking to Ben, it it really becomes clear that they have a vision for, for what they're trying to do and they're not worried about what already exists. They're just really focused on where they see an opportunity and how they can seize that opportunity and make something that is of value to people, which is kind of what a startup is all about. Plus, I just couldn't get enough of Ben's accent. <laughs> so without further ado, here is Ben. Basically, I'll tell you a little bit about, obviously, what we're doing and where we're at and why we decided to do what we're doing, basically. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, I'm a co-founder of Global Sports, Inc. Uh, basically, we're based in, in New York, and we've just launched a, a crowdfunding uh, site or crowdfunding platform recently, so it's around 10 days ago. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of crowdfunding platforms out there. You've got the main ones, but you've got crowdfunding platforms that are in different spaces. So basically, prior to us launching, we spent roughly, I think it would be around a year uh, working on our business model, etc. I mean, obviously, you know, when you start a business, you know, the first general thing is you have the idea and then after that idea, then you need to obviously turn that idea into something tangible. So basically, you know, you, you have to go through a process. Obviously, depending on what type of business you have, each process is different, you know, for, for different types of businesses. But I think the, the main structure is the same, uh, the skeleton structure, so to speak. So, I mean, originally when we started, we, we were going to do something slightly different within the sports sector, but a slightly different type of model. As we progressed, you know, you come across things that may slow you down. So, for example, originally we were going to do a sports fund, but after obviously assessing like the regulation that's required, and it's not the, the fact of obviously getting regulated, it's more to do with the timeline because you're, you're relying on regulators, you know, to process the paperwork, etc. So we decided to, to change our business model. And that's really when we came across, you know, what we considered like a gap in the market when you look at the crowdfunding space. Because obviously, as I say, you know, crowdfunding is becoming, I think over the last three to five years, it's becoming more and more popular as a way for new businesses 
um, to obviously raise capital. So, I mean, basically what we did was we changed our business model. We realized that there was a gap in the sector and we decided that we'd do a crowdfunding platform that was solely dedicated to sports. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, obviously... I think sometimes, you know, when you, when you, as I say, when you're starting a business, you have to be flexible. So, you know, you have to be able to be, you have to be able to adapt. You know, I think if you, if, if you like have an idea and you become stubborn and you say, well, that's the idea that I had from day one, that's what I'm going to do no matter what. Mm -hmm. I think you can come across a lot of, uh, you know, you can come across barriers and obviously I think most startups do come across do come across barriers, obviously, to entry where, particularly raising capital, where it's like, you know, they'll go to try and raise capital and it's like, no, no, or we like the idea, but no, because you don't have traction. Yeah. You know, I think the traditional way of raising capital, obviously, has been through venture capitalists or angel investors. And, you know, I think the sports sector is, I think it's, I think it's a neglected sector because, you know, if you look out there, VCs tend to all invest in what they classify as like the in sector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you've, you've, you've seen like things like virtual reality, obviously esports has got, you know, has received a lot of investment from VCs, Yeah. but you, you look at like virtual reality and you look at other specific tech areas, you know, I think they get more priority funding rather than like, the sports sector or sports businesses and you know of course i meet a lot of people that have great ideas but i think that there's a similar thing between all of them it's the capital raising stage yeah and then it's you know which route do i go down because as i say you know most vcs and angel investors they want to see some form of traction before they'll invest and that's difficult because obviously most startups need money to get traction yeah Need money to make money. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's like you're, you're stuck there. It's like, what, what can I do? So, I mean, I think the traditional route is a lot of startups obviously raise small amounts of capital. They might do a friends and family round or they might bootstrap it themselves, you know, to a certain mm-hmm. point. I mean, us as a business, as I say, going back to how we did it, basically by changing our business model from what we originally planned, that helped us reduce, first of all, what we needed as in startup costs. Mm-hmm. But then obviously we were going we to originally do equity crowdfunding because obviously there's different types of crowdfunding. You've got yeah. equity, you've got donations, you've got product-based crowdfunding. So as I say, we were going to do equi- we were going to launch with equity um, crowdfunding. Again, we adjusted our model again. So we adjusted it basically twice within one year. <laughs> The reason being is, is you know, again, you, you're a, to to do equity crowdfunding, you need to be regulated, obviously, by FINRA. Yeah. Um, in the US, so you know, there's a process there, and that process time is maybe around five to six months. Okay. And obviously, for us as a business, for example, we wanted to get our product to market. You know, we wanted to get that traction. Mm-hmm. So basically, what we did was we, as I say, altered it and decided what we'll do is we'll start with product-based and donation-based campaigns in the sports sector. The reason being is they don't have to be regulated by FINRA, and obviously that allows you to be able to launch to market quicker. So, as I say, we changed the model. That allowed us to launch, I would say, five, six months earlier than expected 
it also reduced our costs again because we didn't have to pay for you know all the FINRA process initially. So basically, as I say, we, we were able to launch to market quicker, and it also allowed us to test our concept, yeah, to get traction, to bring on users, to bring on campaigns. So effectively, by as I say, being flexible as you know, as business owners, it, it gave us many advantages. You know, of course, as a business, we do plan to do equity crowdfunding um, within the next six to eight months. But obviously, before we spend that amount of money that's needed for the regulation process, as I say, it's better for us to, 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 to test the product, so to speak. Yeah, I think both of those things are really, really great ideas. You know, A, get the product out there first instead of getting hung up on regulations and see how it functions, see how people respond to it and start getting that traction. Definitely. I think it's also like that that idea of don't (laughs) fall in love with your idea right off the bat because every kind of startup starts with assumptions of what you think the problem is and what you think people will want. And very often they're completely wrong or you realize there's something better. Um, And, you know, being able to make that switch is, I think, being adaptable like that is what differentiates a lot of times startups that survive and startups that just kind of struggle and then fizzle out no definitely definitely you're 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 exactly right you've got to be flexible you've got to like you say not fall in love with your products i think you know what i see a lot of a lot of startups like you say they're so in love with their product or they they want to keep it secret for as for as long as possible (laughs) and then like surprise the market but the problem is is you know, if you keep at some point, you've got to show somebody what you've got. You've got to take certain risks. Yeah. You know, people say, well, I don't, I don't want to show somebody because I want to keep it secret because I don't want anybody to copy this. But, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, it's like if you've got something good, uh, something tangible and, some, and, and you know, something that, that you think people are going to like, you're not really going to know until you get it out there and people see it. Yeah. Um, so, you know. Anytime you tell anybody, I'm guessing, that you're working on a crowdfunding platform, they must mention Kickstarter and Indiegogo. <laughs> yeah, So, sure. um, where do you see, like, those platforms and where do you see kind of the, the opportunity to differentiate from them? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Kickstarter and Indiegogo, particularly Kickstarter, have been around a long time. They were probably one of the first you know, uh, platforms to, to come out and to introduce everybody to crowdfunding. And obviously, you know, I have a lot of respect for those companies because they've done a good job and they've helped a lot of startups obviously raise capital and, you know, grow. Yeah. Um, but what I would say is obviously I think the landscape of crowdfunding in general is changing and it will continue to change over the next three to five years. Obviously, you know, originally we had crowdfunding that was only available for like accredited investors. So you had, you know, those people had to be accredited. You know, the average person on the street couldn't invest. Mm -hmm. But I think obviously we've seen the the change in the laws with the Jobs Act. And now it's much more open, you know, non-accredited investors can invest. That gives them access to things that they didn't have access to, you know, five years ago. But as I say, I think going forward in the next three to five years, crowdfunding is going to change the landscape because, as I say, while Kickstarter and Indiegogo, they've done a great job. They're massive platforms. They have a lot of users. 
they cater obviously in they're in like what you would classify a general space mm-hmm. so they obviously cater for many many sectors which is great but i think you're going to see the market change and it's going to become more specialized i mean we've already seen it with like for example the real real estate sector you see there's a lot of crowdfunding platforms that are just for real estate and i think as i say crowdfunding going forward in the next three to five years is become is going to become more sectorized mm-hmm. The reason being is, I think, as a, on the user side, while it's good to have variety and choice, etc., you know, users like certain sectors. So there's sports fans that like sports. There's people that like real estate. There's people that like gaming. You know, so basically, for the ease of them to see what's available it's just easy for them to go to something that's more sectorized because they know they're in a community of sports fans. For example, if we take sports, they're in a community of sports fans. They're only going to see sports, which is what they like. And hopefully they're going to, you know, on that specific platform, they're going to be able to see exclusive things that you wouldn't see elsewhere. So as I say, I think it's going to become a lot more sectorized. That doesn't mean that obviously, you know, Kickstarter are, are, are going to go out of business tomorrow. Indiegogo are going to go out of business. They're mm-hmm. not. They will obviously, as as businesses, I'm sure they will change their business model as well. You know, so I think you have to, because it's a, a, a customer base, a customer facing, a client facing platform. You have to cater for your users. So you can't just be in a position where okay we're a massive crowdfunding platform and we're not going to change our ways. You know, I think like I say it comes back to adaptability. Even the biggest companies in the world have to be adaptable. So I think, as I say, you're going to see it become more sectorized. And I mean, obviously what we're doing, what makes us different from Kickstarter or Indiegogo obviously is we're only in one specific sector and that's the sports sector. Mm -hmm. So if you're a sports fan, and you like sports and you want to see just sports campaigns, then, of course, we're going to be able to cater for the sports fan going forward. Of course, we've only just launched, as I explained. So at the moment, you know, we're building that traction. We have um, about five campaigns on our platform at the moment. We're Mm -hmm. looking to obviously add platforms every single week and also build our user side um, that obviously contribute to to campaigns what we're also doing that's quite interesting is which is a big differential between us and kickstarter or indiegogo is obviously i think now companies you know client retention is a big thing so you have to be able to not only offer great service offer a great product but you also have to offer that little bit extra Mm -hmm. um, because there's so much competition in so many different sectors yeah yeah so Basically, what we're rolling out, we're going to do it as a pilot scheme initially to see how it how it goes. We're rolling out um, a loyalty card. So effectively, not only, you know, when somebody comes on and they contribute to a campaign, they receive a product um, that is, you know, they'll be the first people to receive that product because most of the campaigns that we have, the product's not available at the moment to the mm-hmm. general pu- public and the the people that are you know the the campaign organizers they're raising capital to obviously manufacture that product and get it into the marketplace so as i say they get not only get the advantage of having a specific product first but we're also going to reward those people and we're going to operate a, a point system so for example for x amount of money that they contribute to a campaign they'll receive points 
those points will accumulate and effectively what will happen is is they'll receive a card we have three levels of cards um so it's red blue and white so basically they'll receive a red card to start with and with that card it will give them obviously a lot of additional benefits not only within our platform but outside of our platform as well so it would give them access to discounts on tickets discounts on merchandise but also it would give them certain discounts within the platform so basically it's to reward our users with additional things because we believe you know client retention uh, is one of the main things yeah so that's really interesting because the loyalty card is something I haven't heard of from from any of the other crowdfunding campaigns. No. Um, but you do see it in other industries like retail, yeah. for example. Like I was just reading an article that Shoppers Drug Mart, they kind of saved their business using their their loyalty yeah. card and points program. And you see it in airlines as well. You know, that's the main one. Yeah. Where you get a point system with obviously, uh, you know, tickets for flights. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, no, I mean, I mean, obviously, like you say, you know, the loyalty program, you can read many articles online about loyalty programs. And obviously mm -hmm. you have to, they're quite difficult to structure. Yeah. Um, but you have to basic, you know, if you read the articles, as I say, big comp the, some of the biggest companies in the world, even though they're, they're making a lot of money, they still use loyalty cards because the reality is, is, you know, the key statistics on loyalty is, of course, the user will probably spend more on your product yeah? yeah so it's good for you as a business but also you're rewarding that you know you've, you've got to be fair you've got to reward that user and give them some added value so it's about giving the, the client added value and as I say then that will increase your client retention because the point is is for most startups client acquisition costs can be extremely high yeah but what's higher than a client acquisition cost is if you lose a client that's worse you know mm -hmm. because to, to to regain the client it costs more so the reality is, is client acquisition costs on startups tend to be high until they find what is an ideal marketing strategy for that for that particular startup because obviously you know you can build a like we have a marketing strategy like any other business but the reality is, is until you test it you don't know of that marketing strategy which things will work and which things won't work and another thing is obviously because we're in the sports sector it's a, our client acquisition cost is a lot less because we know the client we're targeting mm -hmm. you know it's a specific client yeah for example if you've got a business that's targeting literally everybody your client acquisition cost of course is going to be much higher because you, you know you're not you're not targeting a specific sector so you have to spend more money yeah? yeah yeah so what is your marketing strategy like the you know the five campaigns that you have on your platform right now yeah. um how did you how did you get those and you know for <laughs> for your kind of business there's yeah. kind of two sides to it you know you need a steady stream of people creating campaigns yeah and then you also need a steady stream of people viewing and supporting those campaigns exactly so how does that all of that play together <laughs> I mean, obviously, this is really now, this is like, this is like, after you've done all the hard work, you've got to launch, you think you can take a breather, it, it gets even harder, <laughs> because, you know, it's like, you, you're then like, you're under more pressure, because particularly in what we're doing with crowdfunding, because campaigns have timelines on them. Yeah. So you, you've got to try and get those campaigns funded. We do vet campaigns, you know, 
Kickstarter vet campaigns, Indiegogo don't vet campaigns. Mm-hmm. There's pluses and there's pros and cons for, for vetting and not vetting. Because obviously, you know, we've just started, we vet campaigns. So effectively, how do we find campaigns? Obviously, you have to have a network. So we have a network of people. It's to get your name out there. Um, and then hopefully you're going to get companies that come to you. Obviously, initially, that's difficult if you mm-hmm. haven't done any marketing. So it's a case of searching and sourcing, you know, what you believe are good campaigns, solid businesses, contacting then the owners of those businesses or those startups, asking them where they're at, what their situation is, is with regards to capital, you know, what stage they're at with their company, and then obviously explaining the advantages of using your service. So you are, to an effect at the start, you do have to sell your business, yeah. you know, to, to the campaign. But that's natural because, you know, we're not in a Kickstarter situation where obviously everybody knows that name. They just go there. They don't have to do, you know, they don't have to call up companies and ask them to put campaigns on yeah. their platform. So we're, I'm sure they say, did in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's the only way you can really do it. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, can you, you know, as I say, yep. Sorry, I was just saying, can you, can you go on Kickstarter and just look up all the sports campaigns and contact them be like hey you want to come on our platform too we could but obviously <laughs> no we could but obviously you know the the thing is if they're running a campaign on kickstarter they can't run a campaign with us okay so because it is like it's a conflict of interests yeah sure. and it's not really ethical mm-hmm. you know so the reality is is you know if if they're on kickstarter good luck to them and i hope they raise the money they've you know they've made that big business decision obviously we do get people that haven't raised money, you know, they've had a campaign on Kickstarter, they right. haven't raised the money they needed, mm-hmm. the campaign's closed, and then they come to us. For example, I have a, there's a prime example, I have, I can't tell you the name, but I have a campaign that's coming onto our platform in the next week. Mm-hmm. Um, that company did a Kickstarter campaign. It was, it wasn't unsuccessful, but basically the, it was going to be unsuccessful, but the, effectively what happened was the 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 founder of that company decided to cancel the the campaign because he felt he wasn't ready so you know he then came to us and basically said well i've had a bad experience in kickstarter you know i wasn't featured and that's the problem you have to give i think with kickstarters and indigo they on their main page they feature what they obviously believe they can fund the quickest Mm -hmm. but it's not really fair it's not like a, a level playing field for all the startups because right. you know you, you put your you put your campaign on kickstarter if it's great they'll leave it on the front page if it's not you'll be on there for five minutes and then you're hidden and of, of course your exposure then is very limited yeah unless somebody really knows you're on there or they're searching for that specific product or the type of business that you are yeah obviously the way we want to operate is we want to be fair to all campaigns at the moment all our campaigns have front uh, page exposure but obviously once we get to a certain limit we can't have everybody on the front page Mm -hmm. you know but it's a case of we'll have a rotation system where we'll make sure that everybody does get the equal amount of time on the front page Mm -hmm. because i think that's fair yeah yeah but then obviously yeah as i say coming back to um the, the 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 kickstarter no we we don't poach Kickstarter campaigns. <laughs> um, we just have to call people up. It's hard work. But like you said, it's a dual thing. We don't 
there's no point in having a lot of campaigns if we've got no users because we know the campaigns won't get funded. So you've got effectively double the amount of work. Mm -hmm. So you've got to get equal amount of campaigns. You've got to get campaigns and users, users on at the same time. What I would say is you have to be clever and you have to find um, – you know, you have to find your target sector for the user side. So as I say, it's easier for us because we're in the sports sector so we can target sports fans. Mm -hmm. You know, that would be our main sector or people that have invested in sports campaigns previously. We did have um, leads reversed engineered. So we, we basically we reverse engineer leads. So I will try and find out, of course, naturally it's, it's a, you know, we're, we're, it's a competitive world, yeah? yeah? So I will find out who does fund campaigns on Kickstarter, who does fund campaigns on Indiegogo in the sports sector, and I will try to, I will get those contacts, and obviously I will then not, it's not like I'll, it's, it, I'll be bombarding them with, with emails, but sure. I will make them, I'll make them aware that there's an alternative. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that, that sounds totally ethical to me. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> that sort of answers, but like, do you okay. have like a, a well-defined marketing strategy kind of like how are you how are you hoping to build like a steady stream of people coming in yeah i mean obviously as i say um basically you you have a marketing as in when we started we had a marketing strategy so you have like guerrilla marketing offline marketing online marketing there's so many different types of yeah. you know marketing you can do today but obviously with the advancements in technology I think now it's a lot easier to connect with people. Um, most people don't like like the cold, what you would classify as a cold um, introduction. You know, some people get offended by that. I don't know why, because obviously if you receive an email, it's your choice as to whether you want to read it or trash it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I, I can understand sometimes, you know, people are bombarded with a lot of things today and because of the tech, advancements in technology, it's easy to get, you know, to email somebody. Yeah? yeah. So, I mean, our marketing strategy, obviously, we have to look at that based on our budget as mm -hmm. a business. Yeah. Every every startup has a budget. Obviously, we have X amount and when you work out your financials in a business, depending obviously what, what type of business it is, but most businesses, the majority of their money will go to development and launch of their product and the rest of it will go to just marketing initially. Mm -hmm. So what we use is obviously social media. So Twitter, Facebook, Google, YouTube, you know, we use those forms of social media, also paid advertising on there. The reason being is, you know, as I say before, people used to advertise on television, yeah, mm -hmm. in commercials. That's extremely expensive, yeah. and you're not guaranteed you're going to hit your target market. So the good thing is about, for example, something like Twitter or Facebook, you can define who you want to, who who you want to see, you know, your information. Mm -hmm. So we can basically, for example, in Facebook, you can say, I want uh, people that have got uh, that are sports fans that are in these areas that are this age. You know, I want to make sure that they see something related to my company. Obviously, then you, you set how much you're prepared to pay. But the reality is, is you can do that on a very small budget. So, you know, you can you can get your exposure out there using social media now with with literally not much money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's one area of obviously capturing. The second thing is you have to, I think, have your own content so when you're posting like on Twitter or when you're posting on your own site, 
you know, you've got to get your own content out there. It's not a case of taking somebody else's content and then rebranding it. It doesn't, that doesn't work. So it's writing your own content, um, putting your things out there that are interesting. So things like what we're doing, podcasts, mm-hmm. videos, writing articles, getting featured in articles. So we've been featured, obviously, in different online sports technology websites it's contacting those people asking if they want to do a write-up on you you know it's just about getting your 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 name out there to as many places in the specific sector that you're in as possible but what i would say is for for also the strategy the marketing strategy this is another reason why we're doing the loyalty card why because it offers it offers something different from other crowdfunding platforms and it will, you know, the advantages are if you're an early, um, if you come onto our platform early, we're giving away, for example, now we're going to be giving away for the next 500 people that register, we're giving away 25 points if they register. And also to help our campaigns, we give point, we're giving points away as well as what they get from the campaign. We're giving points away as well there in those campaigns to help the campaigns get funded. But also we want our users to to get that loyalty card that first loyalty card and then obviously you get you know it's something unique so basically they're going to show their friends and you build their momentum and traction yeah it's about building traction it is difficult at the start and i think any business goes through difficulties you have to stay positive you have to when somebody says no to you you have to take that on board and say great so for example i can receive 20 no's it doesn't bother me because i know the next one's going to be a yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that's a really important really important attitude to have i think it's just you're going to hear no a lot in the beginning yeah a lot more often than yes um one thing i think that's kind of interesting about the sports crowdfunding spaces i feel like you're going to get two kind of distinct groupings, which is like sports technology, people coming out with like new kinds of equipment with like sensors built into them and things like that. And then there's also a very like social aspect to sports where, you know, it's great for like community building and events and things like that. So does it kind of make a distinction between those? Are you focusing on one? How's that? How's that a part of the platform? No, I mean, obviously, like you say, it is a community aspect. Sports, the good thing about sports is, is like, it doesn't really matter what, you know, if you've got a lot of money or if you've got not got a lot of money. Sports brings a lot of different people together, and that's obviously different religions, different races, and, you know, different types of people. But it brings together, and you, you know, sports unifies people, yeah, and that's the good thing about sports. You know, people are very passionate about the teams that they support, you know, and the sports that they, that they like. So, for example, it's not, I don't think, it's not really hard to sell the sports concept because it's been around so long and so many people, you know, it's one of the, one of the main things leisure-wise in the world is sports, yeah? Mm-hmm. So that's the, that sports concept's not a problem. I agree with there are some defined sectors within the sports sector. Obviously, some people like baseball, some people like basketball, some people like soccer. So you've then got subcategories within the sector. I mean, of course, our aim is to build a community 
going forward as i say again that's why we're offering the loyalty card because we want to create a community we want to reward people but yeah we're targeting effectively anybody within that sector the sports sector it could be sports tech people it could be just sports fans but we're targeting all of those but it's not it's a big sector but it's a specific sector like i say so it is easy to target and our aim is to go for going forward is to build a community you know is to give our users as much as we can um so basically we want to reward our users so we also have other things that we're going to be doing apart from the loyalty card we're rolling out additional ideas additional things that we have we'll be rolling out over the coming year obviously we have our platform initially at the moment it's the first phase of that again i think when you're in that type of space you know and the platform basically that's what the user uses so you have to keep improving that you can't just say this is the platform i've launched it and that's it i'm not going to touch it for the next year yeah you know you have to continuously continuously be adding so as i say this is like a first release of our platform mm-hmm. we'll be having a second a third a fourth a fifth release and also we're going to be having a mobile application you know things like that so we are going to build over time um but as i say i think yeah the sports sector is interesting and also you know with our platform it allows well we can't do equity at the moment but it does allow people to go on and see interesting products you know that aren't available so for example at the moment we have a smart ski on there we have a jet powered surfboard <laughs> a, a jet powered paddle board we have a, a, a a sensor that can go in any type of ball so it can go in a baseball a golf ball and basically that's going to be linked to 3d so it's something that's very interesting we have also charities so we have a a baseball charity one of the biggest baseball charities in the us on our platform so it's not just a case of products we also want to help sports charities raise capital to you know that are helping kids to be able to play sport it's the next generation it's the future of the the sports industry yeah yeah Yeah. awesome so where do you where do you see the kind of role of technology in sports well obviously i mean technology is technology has changed literally every sector (laughs) in the marketplace yeah yeah you know i mean as i say today what i was just saying you've got like balls with sensor technology you're now going to a you're going there going to a place where you've got mobile applications so sports fans can 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 obviously have more interaction within the stadium or outside of the stadium i think sports clubs are trying to connect more with their fans yeah Mm -hmm. and the only way of doing that is through technology so you know i think we're seeing also like virtual reality is going to play a big part in sports going forward for the for the spectator not necessarily in the stadium but maybe a spectator that's not in the stadium that's watching it uh on television for example yeah you're going to see that 3d virtual reality type of uh, of technology coming in but also you've got a lot of clubs that are using technology as well now. So as I say, they're using what you classify as smart equipment. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think technology is hitting every single aspect of every single type of sport. And then obviously we've seen the growth of esports, you know, over the last probably couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I was reading an article today that esports, you know, is getting bigger with the regards of the spectators than some 
mainstream sports that are, have yeah. been established for hundreds of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the accessibility is so high. You know, for sure. That's really interesting. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. I was reading an article about, you know, using AR in in football. Yeah. So yeah. like the quarterback can like see the plays and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's no, definitely. And I mean obviously we've seen as well there was a study done on, you know, there's been a last week I think, you know, there with the concussion or the problems with yeah. particularly in the NFL. Yep. And obviously I think, you know, you're going to see technology there in the helmets. Obviously I know there are companies that are doing technology, but you're seeing the technology, it's affecting training, it's affecting games, it's affecting, you know, he- the the health aspect of athletes. Um, so you've got that side of it. As I say, then you've got the spectator side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, you know, you can't get away from it. The technology is just going to keep improving and improving and improving. And it's interesting because obviously with us being in the sports sector, you know, I come across and I see some amazing concepts, amazing products. And the main thing that I hear from sports startups is we can't raise capital. Yeah. We, can't, we can't get money, you know. And I think you have to be careful uh, when you're raising capital because what happens is is sometimes, you know, people take a deal from, it may be from a venture capitalist, it may be from an angel. They'll take a deal and then they regret that deal later because, you know, they didn't really think about the deal. They, they obviously needed the money. So I think sometimes, you know, when you're in a, like a capital raising stage, mm-hmm. sometimes the best deal is no deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a hard thing to swallow. You know, if someone's giving you money, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a hard thing to turn away from, but. Well, as is a business, our, our business, we've turned three offers down so far. Yeah. So we've had three offers um to buy equity in our business okay. and we've turned all three offers down the reason being is is you have to analyze i think as a business you have two aspects when you receive an offer you have the money aspect well you have three actually you have the money mm-hmm. you have the equity mm-hmm. that the, the, the person wants or the the group whoever it may be and then the third thing is is you have what are they bringing experience wise contacts yeah you know what are they gonna what are they gonna help you with you know because everybody of course has areas of weakness you know our team we have weaknesses in our team every business has weaknesses particularly startups because they don't have the money to pay salaries you know and build a, a strong team from the start so so naturally each startup has weaknesses in their management team yeah so i think You've got to, when you receive an offer, you've got to analyze the three aspects, the money and the equity. But for us as a business, for example, we analyze what is that person going to bring contact wise? You know, what can, how can they help us grow our business? And can we work with that person? Because the point is, is if you can't work with somebody, mm-hmm. it, it could be detrimental to your business. So it's irrelevant really of what, you know, money solves a lot of things but also money can create a lot of problems. So yeah. you have to, my advice for like a startup is, as I say, you have to be very careful when you do receive offers to make sure it's the right offer for you. Um, and if it's not, you know, it's better to turn down that offer because once you sign a contract, once you've agreed to something, you really can't turn around and get out of that. Mm-hmm. So how did you how did you get to the stage of getting those offers? What was that process like? 
the, the process is, I mean, obviously we went down originally when we were prior to launch and when we were building everything out, obviously we did a pitch deck, you know, which is the normal thing to do as a startup. Mm-hmm. You have your pitch deck. So you have like a, a, there's templates, of course, available online. You can go on. You, what I would suggest if anybody's building a pitch deck, it's always good to look at pitch decks from Facebook linkedin you know some of the best pitch pitch books written mm-hmm. they're readily available online you can go on and see yeah. what was the facebook pitch book you know pitch deck what was a linkedin pitch deck what was a snapchat pitch deck mm-hmm. and it, you can see those they're, they're readily available and it gives you an idea to see what they did so on a pitch deck generally you'll have like a powerpoint presentation it's generally short so it may be like 12 slides. It has limited text. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be very specific to the point. It doesn't really, it has not maybe one slide that has an overview of financials. And that's basically a pitch deck for your main starting point. Then, of course, you have a full business plan. You have a five, normally five-year financial projections. So you have those additional documents. But what we did, obviously, we went down the route that most, 99.9% of startups go down. You build your pitch deck. And then you send it out to venture capitalists or angel investors that you believe invest in your sector. Mm-hmm. Obviously, as I say, in the sports sector, there's it's there's very limited VCs and angels that invest in that sector, believe it or not. So you're limited, but you send it out and, you know, you get a lot. Basically, you get no answers. Mm-hmm. So you don't receive an answer or you get an answer no, or you get, let's see, some traction. You know, those are the three types of responses you generally get. And it can be frustrating and it can be, you know, I think a lot of people can give up at this stage because when you hear no 50 times, it's like, it's hard to take, yeah? You have mm-hmm. to stay positive. So basically we went, we went down that route. Um, we were finding it extremely difficult because obviously, you know, VCs wanted to see traction, etc. So what we decided to do was by changing our business model, we reduced our costs. Another thing is you've got to keep your operating costs low. You shouldn't really be taking a salary. Mm-hmm. I see startups where, you know, the co-founders are taking a $100,000 salary, but their startups losing half a million a year. That uh, for me, a VC is never going to invest in that because the reality is you can't really justify taking a hundred thousand dollar salary when you're not even breaking even, let alone profitable. So I think, you know, as I say, we we went down that route. Then we decided, no, because we're wasting our time because everybody wants to see traction. Mm -hmm. You know, you get people that say it's a great idea, but and then there comes the but we want to see the traction. Yeah. So. I think what you have to do is if you really believe in your business, obviously you've got to bootstrap it to a certain extent. You've got to fund it to your, to a certain extent within your financial capabilities. Mm-hmm. But secondly, you know, the best route is to do like a friends and family round. Mm-hmm. So obviously do a small round, a uh, uh, friends and family, small amounts of money. So that gives you a little bit of money, maybe to be able to get to market. Obviously it depends on the cost because some businesses need millions of dollars to get to market. Yeah. So as I say, those businesses, they're in a difficult situation, but initially you would go to VCs angels with your pitch deck. If not, you would do a friends and family, but then when do investors come to you? Investors come to you generally when you have got something that's tangible, something that's, you know, they can see. So, for example, as we stand today, we've started to receive now. We received actually three offers prior to us being uh, live. 
as I say, we turn those offers down because, again, you've got to think as a, as a startup, if you take that offer, the value of your company, you know, if you're going to market, you're going live, the value from one day to another day changes because it's worth more once you've got something in the market, a physical thing. So it's not really an ideal time to take an offer at that stage. That's why we turn those offers down, yeah? Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, when you get to market, as I say, once people start to realize what you're doing, that's when you'll start to receive offers. And you're in a stronger negotiation position. You can negotiate. You've got, you've got more negotiation once you've got something that's live and you're starting to build a user base. Yeah. So it, I'm not saying that's the, the standard way. That's the way you should do it because every business is different. I'm saying there are pitfall, pitfalls, and you have to be careful on you know who you take as an investor um and what they bring into the table yeah i mean that's a really grounded grounded perspective it's hard to it's hard to turn away money i think so to yeah um i i guess you just have to really believe in your idea and what you're what you're creating is is worth something so for sure i mean i guess also like you know if you do get someone willing to invest at this stage where Really, you still need to prove the traction. They're not going to give you the same value that you think it can reach. No. Um, so that value valuation is an issue as well. You know, I mean, that's you, you're you're exactly right. If you something that's not something that's not um, something that's a concept or an idea or it's pre-launch mm-hmm. is worth a lot less than something that's launched, even if it only has one user, for example. Yeah. Because it's but it's something tangible. It's in the market. It's there. Yeah. It's a physical thing. Yeah. So yeah, the valuations vary massively. But valuation is an issue, I think, when it comes to startups as well, because a lot of startups overvalue their business. And I understand that because it's their baby, <laughs> you know, they, they put a higher value on it than, than, a, than an accredited investor does. An accredited investor looks at the nuts and bolts. Yeah. So I think, you know, you have to have a valuation because obviously if an investor asks you, what money do you want? What are you giving in return? You, you, how do you get that figure? You've got to base it off some type of valuation. Most startups base it off a, a, like it can be a pre-revenue a pre-revenue valuation, or they'll they'll work their valuation based on what will their valuation be in two years' time. You know, there's different ways of making a valuation. Obviously, any valuation for any startup is the same as anything like your financials, you know, what are your operating expenses going to be? What is your marketing budget going to be? All of those things. What is your profitability going to be? You know, because it, because you've not got any traction and you've not, there's nothing proven there. Yeah. All of those things are estimates yeah. at the end of the day. You know? I always find the five-year financial projections to be really funny because yeah. it's just, you don't know. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, you get people that put crazy figures on financial projections. I mean, the best thing is when you're doing financial projections is to make them as conservative as possible. So you come up with a figure, then just the best thing is to half that figure, you know, yeah. particularly when it comes to what you're going to make as a business. But then like the opposite perspective on that is, you know, if you go too conservative, then investors don't get excited because they're like, you know, you don't think that you're going to make that much. Um, so if you only yeah. think you're going to make this much, chances are you're not even going to reach there so i don't know it's a that's the problem we're trying to predict the future (laughs) yeah no it's a catch it's a catch-22 situation you're right i mean you know you can look on varying different sites and see valuations 
I mean, I think the average valuation for like a startup is roughly around $3 million, something like this is like an average mm-hmm. valuation. But obviously valuations vary. I mean, I've seen people that have valuations pre-revenue and they've not even got anything in the market. They've got a valuation of 20 million, yeah. you know, and that's hard to justify um, because as I say, an investor, you know, it's if they're investing at that stage, the risk is extremely high. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got obviously VCs and I understand why VCs say no to a lot of things because, you know, at the end of the day is they can invest probably in 10 startups and maybe only one of them will be successful. So their risks are extremely high. Um, but obviously, you know, it's all relative for us as a business, for example, is, you know, you can do lots of rounds of fundraising. So you can do obviously your, your pre there's now pre seed. So you get pre seed seed series, a, B, C, whatever it may be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can raise capital through varying different ways, through a convertible notes, you through straight equity, through debts, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. But the reality is, is, you know, I think, um, when it comes to raising capital, our, structure as a business for our businesses we're only looking to have one investor or a consort like a consortium of investors we would want just one investment and we wouldn't want to do if we if we needed additional capital we would want to get it from that original investor we would want to stay with one investor for the long term because you're building that relationship. They've trusted you from day one. I think a lot of startups, they open up and they have multiple investors. That's okay for raising capital. The problem is, is when it comes to them reporting, you've got to report to these investors. And the more investors you've got, the more reporting you've got. And that's the less concentration you've got on moving your business forward. Yeah. And you get varying, like, conflicting interests and ideas. Exactly. And... Exactly. Yeah. You've got to keep everybody happy. Remember, <laughs> The more investors you've got, the more people you've got to keep happy, yeah. you know, like I say, you, you, like you said, it's hard to turn away money, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's better to turn it away because it can just be a headache going forward. Yeah. I think that's some, just an important thing to keep in mind in startups in general is you have to play the long game. Yeah. There's no, there's no short term gain in a startup. If you really believe in what you're doing, you have to be in it for the long term. You have to be prepared to take a lot of sacrifice, make a lot of sacrifices, like, for example, working a lot of hours. Um, and you also have to be prepared to not pay yourself, not earn any money for maybe a long time. Yeah. So speaking you know, of that, you know, um, I think you, you came through the kind of the banking <coughs> sector, working at like Merrill correct. Lynch and Deutsche and things like that. Yeah. What made you want to do this? Um, I mean, I've always been a person that's been entrepreneurial, I would say a person that, you know, I've worked obviously in the corporate world Mm -hmm. and while the corporate world has its advantages with regards of you get your salary, you know, you're getting your salary, you can, you know, stability, so to speak, even though it's actually quite not quite stable now in the financial market, (laughs) you know, we've seen a lot, obviously with you know, a lot of redundancies. But I I think, you know, when I was in the financial market, there was stability and the corporate world, you were guaranteed your salary, you got a good bonus. But the reality is, is I'm a person that's quite, as I say, entrepreneurial. And I I believe that, you know, it's okay. There's different types of people. Some people 
prefer that stability of working for somebody um you, it's safe and then there's people that want to take risks i think entrepreneurs are risk takers mm-hmm. you know that's just the, the nature of an entrepreneur because the reality is, is there's multiple risks you have to take so for me as a person i did the corporate world and then decided that wasn't for me mm-hmm. and that's why i i started to be an entrepreneur i mean i've had a previous business and um, i'm still a, a, a non-executive director of um, which was a startup as well. So I do have some experience in startups. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, when you're doing it the first time, it's a big jump. Yeah. You know, you've got to have some money behind you, I think, or you've got to have some way of living because, <laughs> as I say, you're not going to earn. Gone is the salary. Gone is your medical care or whatever it may be. <laughs> you know, all those benefits yeah. are gone, yeah? yeah? So the reality is, is you've got to be – you've got to either sacrifice – you've got to make sacrifices. So I think – it only starting a business it only suits a certain type of person um but generally as i say you find entrepreneurs are risk takers they're people that have uh, ideas they have probably have multiple ideas me i have multiple ideas i have ideas every single day yeah but the point is is you can't do everything you know so i have to put those ideas i have a document i have it's like an ideas document Mm -hmm. and i keep all everything i ever think of I, i put it down on there and, you know, there's ideas that I've had five years ago. And then I'll look at the idea now and I'll say, what a stupid idea that was. <laughs> <laughs> so I take, it off, I take it off my document. But it's a continuous thing for a lot of ideas because the reason being is, is you know, depending on obviously what happens with what we're doing now, you know, you can then do other things as well, you know. But you've got to be con- – you can't concentrate on multiple things at one time. So I think entrepreneurs have multiple ideas and they say, I want to do this, 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 and this. But you can't. You've got to say, this is what I want to do, and you've got to be committed, focused, and that's where all your 100% energies go. So, you know, I'm 100% committed and on what I'm doing with global sports. You know, I've been doing that for over a year now, and, uh, you know, my – what's my timeline what's my outlook if it takes 10 years another 10 years for me to get where we want to be as a business then it's 10 years yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean that's a it's it's a tough transition to make you know to leave that steady paycheck and all of that yeah. but i think then it's also very exciting to have the chance to do something that you really want to do definitely being your own boss obviously yeah because that's what you are you know the good the advantages are you don't answer to anybody obviously i think most startups they have this you know it's not generally one person they have multiple co-founders so it'll be maybe two three four people i mean the key is again when you're starting a business if you think of the idea or somebody asks you to be part of a startup you've got to be able to work with you know your co-founders because again if you're in a situation where you've got to be basically you've got to be be prepared to to make sacrifices and to uh, and and to basically not necessarily force all your opinions so i think like as i say when there's multiple co-founders you've got to be able to be flexible so because not everybody has all the best ideas so it's about it's about a collaboration of uh, all the co-founders putting their ideas together if you've got a collaboration and and you're flexible and you're prepared to compromise, then you can get things done quickly. The problem starts when you've got a startup and you've got co-founders and they don't agree, you know, and they're very stubborn because if nobody compromises, you never get anything done and Mm -hmm. you can never make any decision on anything. Yeah. So as I say, 
there's many things you have to take into into consideration but yeah going from a corporate world to a an entrepreneurial world is a big big it's very drastic it's from like one end of the scale to the other but as i say there's many advantages um but you won't work less that's for sure you'll work more than you <laughs> than you did in the corporate world so you know the the point about the the co-founders is really interesting um can you tell me about tell me about your co-founder yeah my co-founder's uh name's tom i mean it's it's actually interesting you know because when you obviously start a business it's like well can i do this alone and as i say you really generally most businesses you need more than one person because it doesn't matter if it's at the start, but you're going to need more than one person because the workload becomes so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, my co-founder, Tom, I, I have a, a very good relationship with him. As I say, it's about compromise. So obviously, you know, sometimes I have to make compromises. Sometimes he has to make compromises. The, the ultimate thing is, is us as, a, as, as partners, we have the same goal. We're on the same page. You know, you can't have one co-founder that's on one page and one co-founder that's on another page. So we've gone through some drastic things, like I say, changing our business model twice. They're big decisions, but we made that decision very quickly because ultimately, you know, our business, what we want to create is we want to create. It's not about making millions of dollars for us, you know, because money comes if your business is successful anyway. Mm -hmm. The reality is is it's about more of a legacy. So, you know, it's about providing something that we believe is going to uh, is of value and is going to be of benefit to many people mm-hmm. so you know as i say when it comes to a co-founder you've got to be obviously you've got to find somebody it can be a friend you know i, I didn't i've only known tom um just over a year since we started this business okay. so basically i met him actually through the internet you know which is a risk yeah because you don't physically know the person You've got to build that relationship. But having had several conversations, you know, about what what we wanted to do, what we were going to do, you know, we came to the conclusion that we, it was a good fit for us. And it's worked out well. You know, I've been lucky because as I say, you know, when you're if you're getting a partner through the Internet, that could be complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that's the ideal way to do it. You know, generally, most startups, they their co-founders are friends. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a different scenario. But as I say, you know, it, it just depends on what's right for you. But ultimately, it comes down to being able to work with that person or persons. And obviously, as I say, being able to compromise and being on the same page and having the same goals for the for the growth of the business. Having the business's interests is number one. You know, so it's not about um, growing a business and quickly you know receiving a salary as quickly as possible early stage businesses you if you if you become profitable you've got to be looking to invest that money straight back into your business mm-hmm. you know it's highly unlikely you're going to make any money in a startup for at least the first three four years most startups lose a lot of money in the first year or don't make it mm-hmm. you know that's just how it is yeah yeah i mean that's a really interesting interesting way to meet a co-founder honestly yeah. um, but i think you know the there are advantages to doing it with your friends but then it's also challenging too because sometimes you can't be as honest with each other as sometimes you need to be you yeah. know whether something's working or not working and what needs to be done so no definitely if yeah because uh, you know 
obviously you can have a friendship in business but ultimately business is business really you've got to have separation when you've you know if you've got a co-founder that's a friend like you say you've got to keep that separation of them a friend outside of business but in business in when we're working it's business related and you have to make hard decisions yes sometimes it's difficult if it's your friend to be blunt or to be to disagree because you've probably had a friendship for many years as i say with my situation i have a very good relationship um with with tom's with my co-founder so you know we we don't have disagreements of course you do have disagreements but if we have a disagreement we get round it but it's easy for me and it's easy for him to express ourselves because we don't have like a, a 10-year relationship yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean that's the thing about this kind of thing i don't think there's a right answer <laughs> no so no. yeah i think Every a big part of no sorry every person's different yeah yep and a lot i think a lot of the the idea of like co-founder is also gut <laughs> like does it just yeah. feel right exactly exactly uh, and that's the thing you know it's whether yeah whether it feels right and also i would say is you know another thing when you're building a startup you must have all your legal paperwork in order you know mm. particularly if you particularly well in any in any scenario but for example if you've got a friend if your friends a co-founder you know it's you can't really start a business based on a handshake or the based on the fact that they're your friend yeah. because the reality is is things change friendships change and think a lot of things can change in a business yeah so no matter if it's your friend you know that you've known 25 years whatever however long it may be you should always have everything in writing as as in who owns what shares you know how your business is structured it must be in writing because you can't have just like a verbal agreement with a friend based on well he's been my friend i've known 20 20 years because eventually no matter what it's going to create problems because money when you when you money when money comes into things people react differently yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's unfortunate but it's also part of life i guess you you do need money <laughs> Of course. So, yeah. Of course. I think more than anything no one likes to feel like they've been cheated or undervalued. No. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's about obviously being fair like you say. I mean, you know, obviously different companies and different people are different, you know. There's no like you say there's no set answer on really any process from when you're doing a when you've got a startup and you're starting and you're you're building that business you know you can look through everything you've got to do there's no set standard way of doing anything there's no set way of doing a pitch deck there's no set way of doing your financials there's no set way of your marketing campaign there's no set way of you know what type of co-founder you should have there's there's no like a book that you can pick up that can give you all those answers you can get information online about different things but yeah you've got to do what's right for you what you feel comfortable with and you know as i say it depends on on your business yeah on what your what your long term aspirations are for that business and you know where you where you see that business going because some people do start businesses to make as much money as possible in the short term and you know they have exit strategies etc i mean it's always good to have an exit strategy but obviously you know it depends on what type of business you've got and you know what your long term vision is for that business yeah so do you play any sports <laughs> what's your favorite sport soccer 
<laughs> I mean, soccer's my, my favourite sport. I have started to watch a lot of different types of sports since we started this business. Uh-huh. You know, so I've, sports that I, I haven't, I didn't watch before. So, for example, I, I've been and I've watched uh, NFL and I've been and watched baseball, but they're not sports that I would generally watch on television. Okay. I've watched them li- live. You get a different experience live to what you get when you watch a sport on television. Mm-hmm. You know, because, for example, something like soccer, it's a short game. It's, you've got 90 minutes, yeah? yeah? But, like, something like maybe like baseball, <laughs> it, it's a long game, yeah? yeah? So I think, you know, it's about, as I say, learning other other types of sports. So what I've started to do is watch a lot of baseball watch the NFL, watch basketball, watch sports on TV mm-hmm. that I wouldn't traditionally watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I actually like all, <laughs> yeah, it's good research. I like all sports, you know, yeah. I'm just a sport, I'm just a sports fan. You know, my, my co-founder, he has, you know, a sports statistics business that he had before we started our business. Uh-huh. He's, you know, he's really into sports and so am I. So as I say, it was a natural fit for us. Yeah. I think, you know, whatever business you've got to do, you've got to love, you've got to at least like, but I think you've got to love that specific sector. So if you're in real estate, you've got to love real estate. If you're in gaming, you've got to love gaming. You know, we're in sports. We are both massive sports fans and that helps Mm -hmm. because we can then, you can see it then from not an aspect of being an owner. You can see your business as an aspect as I'm a user. I'm a sports fan. If I went to my platform, what wouldn't I like? What would I like? Yeah. You can see it from both sides. It's easier. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, if you if you like love what you do, then it makes it a lot easier to get through those, especially those first few years where it's probably not going to make any money or not a, enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's like, that's probably like uh, the compensation aspect, so to speak, is like, you know, you, you yeah, it's something that you love. So it's about, it's basically you wake up every day and it's like, you know, it's not like, well, what have I got to do? It's like, it's like, how many things do I have to do? Because I really love this. Yeah. You end up, you end up working way more hours. And, it, <laughs> it, and, and the point is, is you don't begrudge working those hours. You know, it's like if you work in the corporate world, you, you tend to begrudge that because it's like you're getting your salary and everything, but it's like it's forced yeah. here when you're doing something that you love. The, t- the time flies by, you know, you can b- look and you've done a 15, 16 hour day and you're not, you're not even tired and you not even realize it because you just love what you're doing and you've got to love what you're doing. But that is one of the advantages. Yeah. My philosophy is it's only work if someone tells you to do it. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, you're right. You're right. You're, you're exactly right. If it's, if, yeah, if you're doing it out of, out of uh, your, your own motives, like you say, it's not really work. It's more like, it's like a, I wouldn't say it's not a hobby, but it's like something that, that you just really want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think you just happen to like something that's also productive. So, <laughs> so exactly. Perfect mix. Cool. Um, I don't want to take uh, too much of your time. So, you know, no just problems. to just to wrap up. Um, one thing I like to ask everybody is if you had advice for for someone else who's thinking about starting a business or is just getting started, uh, based on your own experiences, what would you tell them? I would tell them if if they're starting their own businesses to be committed um, to obviously be well planned 
to don't get to go don't get down to stay positive through no's and to and to have and to have it's it's about planning so i would say you know if you want to start your own business that's fantastic i think you know without entrepreneurs and without startups we wouldn't have you know things like facebook snapchat all these things that you know the the internet all these things that people use every day without these people you know entrepreneurs creating things continuously we wouldn't have any you know half the things we have today so i think if you want to create a business if you want to start a business i would just say go for it but obviously just make sure and be and bear in mind there are pitfalls you do have to make sacrifices but ultimately it's very satisfying and the end results you know can be phenomenal yeah mm-hmm. awesome <laughs> do you yeah. have anything anything else you wanted to add or anything you wanted to say no i mean obviously you know um i would just say that of course if there is anybody that does listen to this, that <laughs> there is a sports startup that wants help, you know, or wants some advice, by all means, they can contact us through our website and we'll help them if we can. So that's all I would say, because I know, as I say, starting a business, it can be like a minefield. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if it's just a, just for a general advice, if they want to ask a general, any general questions, we're open to that. As I say, you know, we have no problem sharing our experiences and and sharing our advice you know with other startups yeah would you want mark cuban to invest in your business um yes and no (laughs) (laughs) for certain reasons yes for other reasons no you know i mean he's he's a great he's a great investor obviously and he's well respected and he's obviously you know loves sports i mean you know there's many advantages of having a guy like that um but obviously there's there's disadvantages as well you know i mean <laughs> you just have to as i say you have to weigh up the pros and cons yeah he's <laughs> one of the more high profile guys in in sports and investment so for sure yeah for sure no i mean i mean <laughs> as i say never say never you know you can you can never turn down a, a, an offer obviously as i say it just depends you have to weigh up what if the offer's a good offer for you yeah like a, like i was said before you know it goes back to and what you were saying, it's hard to turn down money. Sometimes you have to be really disciplined, yeah? Well, yeah. Thanks a lot for doing this, Ben. I really enjoyed the conversation. So No problems. No, I appreciate your time. And obviously, I appreciate, yeah, you, you doing the podcast and taking your time out. And, yeah, fantastic. I mean, obviously, you know, I can do another podcast in the future if you have specific things that you want to talk about that's in our, our area. Or maybe you can have a, do a podcast with, even with my co-founder, yeah? Yeah, that'd to get be his, awesome. To get, to get his views as a contrast to mine. <laughs> it would also be really <laughs> cool to do it again in maybe six months or one year. Yeah. And say, like, just, this is where we are now. <laughs> yeah, to see the progress. No, that definitely that. I mean, that would be fantastic because yeah. obviously if we've progressed a lot, you know, within the next six months or one year, it will show to obviously entrepreneurs that if you, you know, if you really believe in something, you really can grow something. Yeah. I also think, so, yeah. you know, at this stage, you're going to be learning stuff every day. Oh, every day. Experiencing new things every day. So <laughs> it's an exciting, every day. exciting time. I learn it. I learn new things every single day because obviously, you know, my weaknesses are certain things. I'm, I'm not an, you know, I'm not an expert in everything like anybody else. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not an expert. You know, I don't know certain things with regards to the tech side. Yeah. Yeah. They're things that are not my speciality. You know, I'm okay on the finance side. 
I know about sports, but there's a lot of sports that I don't, I know nothing about. Yeah. So you're learning, like you say, there's things that you learn every single day. And that's, that's a great thing because you, you're broad, broadening your horizons. It's knowledge and, you know, knowledge is a great thing. Yeah. That is the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I definitely did. It was really, really interesting to me to hear the kind of approach that Ben and his co-founder have towards building their sports crowdfunding platform. Just the idea that they, they're so early stage, but they turned down the opportunity to take money three times. It really says something about what kind of mentality you have to have going into a startup. I've heard the term exit strategy so many times. What's your exit strategy? How are you going to make money, as much money as quickly as possible? And to have this sensibility to not take money if it's not the right deal for you is a, is a really mature approach to startups, which I think more startups need to, need to have, you know, from the start. It's really inspiring to hear something like that. I don't know how I would respond in a situation where someone is willing to give me money for, for my idea. I like to think I'd be able to rationally consider it the way Ben does, but, you know, I'm not sure. The good thing is, you know, after hearing a story like this, it really, it really gives me that perspective on how to value what you're working on. And hopefully it gives some of you that perspective as well. If you want to find out more about Ben and their project, go check out globalsportsfunds.com. It's a really cool website and, you know, it's only going to grow from here. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas about the podcast, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at createco or visit our website at c-r-e-a-a-t-e dot c-o. And keep thinking, what will you create?